Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Welcome back, cardio nerds. We have a little something different for you today other than our typical deep dive into cardiovascular pathophysiology. Over the course of four episodes, we are going to be talking about the nuances of digital health in cardiology. This is a collaborative effort with Corey Health and supported through an ACC chapter grant. In this first episode, we are going to be taking a broad tour of the current landscape of digital health tools in cardiovascular disease. My name is Dan Ambinder, and I am thrilled to welcome the co-chairs for the CardioNerds Digital Health Series, Dr. Karin Desai, cardiologist and beloved educator at Johns Hopkins Hospital, and Dr. Nino Asikadze, currently a first-year EP fellow at Johns Hopkins Hospital and a prolific digital health innovator herself and a super friend of mine. So welcome, Karin and Nino. Thanks, Dan, for that wonderful introduction. You know, I've been fortunate to be part of several CardioNerds episodes in the past, and now this is my first episode as a faculty member. I know the impact that CardioNerds has had across the country on educating clinicians, trainees, educators, faculty, everyone across the board. So I'm super excited that we're doing something a little different today. And I want to kick it over to my co-chair, Nino. Hi, everyone. It is so exciting to be here today with all of you, and I look forward to an exciting discussion. Next, I am so thrilled to welcome student doctor Shivani Reddy, future cardiologist and CardioNerds Academy intern and medical student at Western Michigan University Homer Stryker School of Medicine. Welcome, 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 Shivani. Thank you so much, Dan. So looking forward to our discussion today. And it is my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Deepthi Ichaporia today. Dr. Ichaporia is the Eric and Sheila Sampson Endowed Shear in Cardiovascular Health director of disease management for Heart and Vascular Institute and professor of medicine at the University of California, Irvine. Dr. Ichaporia completed her residency in internal medicine at Stanford University Medical Center. She subsequently joined the general medicine faculty at the University of California, San Francisco and did her cardiology fellowship at Georgetown University and an interventional cardiology fellowship at Stanford University. Dr. Echeporia is the immediate past president of the American College of Cardiology and has helped guide and lead the digital transformation in cardiovascular health during her tenure. Welcome to CardioNurse, Dr. Echeporia. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here with all of you guys. This is so exciting. I'm really excited to have this conversation with all of you about digital transformation. So before we dive into the discussion of digital health today, Dr. Ichaporia, you've been so incredibly successful yourself, and we were wondering if you'd be able to share with us some tips, especially for women in cardiology, on how to balance research, clinical work, advocacy, and life at home. Well, thank you so much for that question. Nanette Wenger once said, I don't know that you can really balance anything. It's more of a juggling act. And I would say that, first of all, it's so much easier to do anything that you have passion for. So I think it's really important to bring all the passion that you feel for your work into your work. And I think the certain components, one is time management, right? Figuring out what your priorities are. So what I say is planning, prioritizing, and then performing. So some of the things that you do for time management is you have to have somebody that helps organize your time. So an assistant helps. I think you have to learn to outsource things that you can do. So this idea of do, delegate, or destroy really helps. I think that's a good mantra. 
I think ultimately you have to learn to collaborate and use others' expertise so that you can scale some of the challenges, some of the difficult questions. I mean, we do that when we're doing clinical medicine, right? We ask people for help. So you have to learn to ask for help. And I think in the whole thing, you can't forget to think about yourself. So one thing is always involve your significant other so that they know your schedule. They can be part of the journey that you're on. And then I think lastly, self-care, stress management, making sure that you exercise, sleep, eat healthy. I think all of those are the pieces that you need to have in place to be able to balance all the different things that you have to do. But remember, again, all of this is sort of the journey and you have to learn to really enjoy that. I'm not sure if that's exactly what you were asking for, but I think those are really the components that I thought about as I started doing all of the stuff that I did in cardiology. What powerful words, Dr. Japoria, outsourcing, collaborating, involving significant others, self-care, great advice for all of us. And now we can move over to discussing the digital health and ground us into the apes for this episode. Over the last few decades, there has been tremendous technological progress. However, adoption of digital health tools in healthcare, including cardiovascular disease management, has significantly lagged due to in part regulatory constraints and absence of payment structures. How did COVID-19 pandemic accelerate the process of adopting digital health tools in healthcare, including cardiovascular disease management? Well, COVID-19 pandemic really led to what we call an acceleration in healthcare, right? I mean, we literally adopted telemedicine overnight. We witnessed something that was miraculous. I mean, you know, Silicon Valley has been telling us that we were in the midst of digital transformation for a long time. I mean, when you think about the world and you think about banking or you think about entertainment, all of these industries have adopted digital transformation, but healthcare seemed to lag. And no matter what all of the investments and all of the things that we saw from companies, we didn't seem to be adopting. But really overnight, what we did is we embraced and we all pivoted to a telehealth platform, right? We used video or phone platform. We started relying more on remote patient monitoring by using this, you know, mobile health tools and wearables. Those became essential, not to really replace, but at least to support the traditional face-to-face interaction because we couldn't do face-to-face interaction. And we wanted to preserve access during the pandemic. And so we use this digital health technology to preserve, optimize the health of older adults, people that had chronic diseases. We wanted to make sure that cardiovascular prevention and treatment continued in spite of the fact that patients couldn't come in and actually see you physically. So, of course, reimbursement had to change to support this transformation. And there's certainly insurance companies that are currently reimbursing telehealth similarly to in-person visits, but we'll see if that support will continue once all of the pandemic precautions are withdrawn. And so we're going to have to work at that. But really, it was a pivotal moment, I think, in the history of digital transformation for healthcare. Thank you so much, Dr. Echaporia, for that incredible discussion on how the pandemic shaped where we are now in terms of digital health. And it's really inspiring to kind of hear about how we've sort of adapted to the hardships that the pandemic put forth in front of us and how we've taken that in stride and made the most out of it and sort of spurring this tech acceleration, as you had put it. So with that, you know, we're now ready to start discussing the exciting topic of digital health, specifically in cardiovascular disease. Digital health tools spanning risk prediction, disease diagnoses, or management 
as well as remote patient monitoring, were at the center of discussions at the ACC and at the AHA. Some of these tools are wearable devices, AI algorithms, apps, etc. Some are consumer-facing, some are clinician-facing. Some have been approved by the FDA, while others are not yet approved or do not need approval. So given all of this, Dr. Itraporia, can you discuss broadly the current landscape of evidence-based digital health tools that are available for cardiovascular disease management and how you categorize them? Yeah, that's a great question. So I will tell you that the ACC has been thinking about this whole concept of digital transformation for a long time. In fact, in 2017, we hired our first chief innovation officer. That was John Rumsfeld, now Ami Bhatt. And you know, we really laid out the roadmap as to what does it mean to have digital transformation? So when you ask, how do you categorize it? I think we did a great job with that. And when you think about digital transformation or digital tools, I think you have to categorize it. One is virtual care. Now, the question that you asked me previously about, and I said, yes, we pivoted to telehealth. Well, virtual care, we've come to realize is so much more than just, you know, a telehealth platform, right? So we've got the platform. It can be video or phone or something. But there's other aspects to it to be able to really do a virtual care visit, right? We need more data. So one is the virtual care that would include telehealth platform and platforms like that. Certainly e-prescribing is part of that. Any kind of digital clinical information system is part of that virtual care, but also remote patient monitoring data. This is where all of the, you know, mHealth, the mobile telemetry devices, including the smartwatch and a lot of the devices that our patients are using and the information that we can get. Remember, even patients with pacemakers, we get information on that. If a patient has an implanted device such as cardiomems, we get data from that. So wearables such as watches and patches, all of that is information we get that's remote patient monitoring data. And then all of that can be utilized then to create clinical pathways, treatment and therapeutic pathways. But remember, we get a lot of information from all that monitoring. So how do we manage all that data dilution? That's where that third bucket I call is the big data. And that's where we need tools to be able to manage that big data. And that's where artificial intelligence. So the three components I think of is virtual care, remote patient monitoring, artificial intelligence. And some of this stuff we're already using. I think, though, that to be able to meaningfully use some of this, we are going to have to manage the amount of information we receive and how are we going to make sense of it? How is it going to be in the workbook? And I think we're sort of working some of those details out. But some of these devices we're already using. I mean, we're getting information. People are sending information from their smartwatches or if they're using the cardio device and they're sending us ECG tracings. They did that during COVID. What about using platforms such as mobile devices like WhatsApp for exchanging cardiology images? You know, it's a lot easier to send it sometime on WhatsApp. You know, we monitor all of the pacemakers to see if patients are in AFib. Somebody says, oh, I think I'm in AFib. And I say, okay, let me see what your, you know, information that I got from your devices and see if it is so that maybe prevents them from coming in, you know, and then smartphone application. All of those things are part of this, all of the tools that we already have. But I think we're going to see more and it's going to be a little bit easier for us to see. Right now, we're just seeing all of these different things, but we haven't really categorized them and figured out how to really do a true good workflow into all of that. Dr. Shapura, that was a very succinct and helpful way to think through digital health tools. And, you know, you touched upon this already. You know, I'm thinking myself as a practicing clinician before a clinic day, I'm reviewing what patients have sent me. And sometimes I get pages and pages of information on 
what their wearable data was, like you mentioned, what their EKGs from home may have been. And I'm wondering how you advise the many clinicians you encounter in your leadership roles on how to deal with the burdens of the digital health, specifically the sheer volume of data. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great question. And let me make a couple points that I want to make before I answer that question specifically. When we talk about digital transformation in general, the pure definition of digital transformation is using digital devices to ultimately make the lives of patients better and the clinicians better. So when you think about something that adds a burden, then to me, that goes against the definition of digital transformation, right? Ultimately, digital transformation by definition should be something that makes our lives better and it makes our patients' lives better. So when I think about all of this and I think about something like remote patient monitoring and that data, you're right, that's overwhelming for any clinician and especially a busy clinician. So this is where I think we need AI to help streamline this. What we need is not a lot more information. What we need is actionable information. We need the pieces that are valuable. Now, if you think about the patches, for example, you know, let's say you monitor somebody for a week, you get that end of the week report. And what do we do? We don't look at every single day. We're looking for sort of the bite size. They're going to pull out all the things that were important. And then we scan those. So summary sheet, synthesis of information, that's what we need. So that is the biggest thing that I hear is, wow, I can't deal with all of this. And then, of course, we're all worried. What if we miss something, right? So we need some analytics to be able to comb through the volume of data and pull out the things that we really need to look at and can do that quickly. So really, that's what we need. We need the development of that. And how can we do that? Well, this is where I think that, you know, helping companies co-design, which ACC has been doing with some of the things that we're involved with some of the companies. But I also think that this is where feedback mechanism from us as the users to companies is going to be helpful. And I'm going to tell you that probably the first generation of most of these things are not going to be what we should end up with. We're going to have to be iterative with some of this stuff. Ultimately, though, if they don't take our feedback, then I think those people and those companies are going to lose. A lot of times people mistake electronic health record, right? And electronic health record is not digital transformation. It did not make our lives better, did not help us in any way. It's a way to keep medical records digital. Is it really truly a digital transformation in the way that I define it? No. And what was part of the problem? Well, they never asked us what we wanted. It's difficult to move them to get them to do what it is that we want. And so I think that's where we have so much angst against electronic health rate. We don't want the same thing to happen for our digital health because I, we need to learn from our experience with electronic health record to say that we need to be part of the design development and also part of the feedback. What I call we are going to fight the friction, right? We are under stressful conditions. We feel the burden of daily work. And the last thing we want is data dilution from digital devices that are supposed to make us do things better. So I think that we need to be part of sort of deciding what are the right digital tools? How is it going to exist in our clinical workflow? So helping the workflow redesign has to be part of what we do. What are the lean methodologies that we can use and what can we leverage to reduce our time when we use these digital tools? And then are there things that we can shift responsibility to other care team members that can help? I think we're going to need some time to comprehensive and appropriately time training to reduce the stress associated with 
introducing new technologies, because I think that will help. And I think this is all going to have to be built into the system. This idea that one day you're going to just walk in and you're just going to have to do it the way we do it in church, it's not going to work. Thank you, Richard. That was great. And what you mentioned about co-design and including clinicians and end users in the design process is something that we took to the heart when we were designing you know, tools for cardiovascular disease management with Corey Health. And we had human-centered design sessions with diverse groups of patients as well as clinicians. Of course, it's a kind of early stages, but this is what informed development of our digital health intervention. So we just published the paper in JMIR describing the process, but absolutely agree that we should be collaborating and have collaborative creativity with clinicians and patients and maybe even other stakeholders such as caregivers in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that we have to learn from our previous lessons. I know we're all busy, but if we don't be involved and we let somebody else drive this ship, we're going to lose. And they want us involved. Engineers and software developers, they don't know the clinical questions. Only we know the clinical questions. So to help these people to get to what we want, I mean, it's literally a marriage made in heaven. I mean, you know, they can bring their expertise. We bring our expertise. And like I said, if the goal is to make our lives better, but ultimately make our patients' lives better and really provide the value that we want, oh my gosh, that's the holy grail here. I completely agree. And, you know, Dr. Hitchburg, when we're talking about technology and digital health, we want to make sure that we bridge the digital divide, increase access and promote equity. What are the ways to ensure inclusiveness in design and delivery of digital health tools for disease management to every patient? including those from underrepresented racial and ethnic groups. Yeah, I think that's a really excellent point. And, you know, I talk a lot about health equity, and I certainly believe that we need to include all of those underrepresented racial and ethnic groups. Interestingly, one of the big reasons that telehealth has become popular is that we say, well, we want to improve access, right? But what if you're improving access, but now you have a telehealth platform, but they don't have broadband. How are you going to improve access, right? So I think that it's a multi-pronged approach. One, we need to make sure that we make investments to bridge that divide in access, use and look at the impact of these interventions for patients with lower socioeconomic status, the elderly, those that have language and literacy barriers. We really need to think about an investment in those groups. I think that when we come up with a tool, a health tool or a digital tool, we need to make sure that we design the research agendas to incorporate that diverse set of users, right? Because we really want to promote that health equity in those subset and those populations that have been underrepresented in large trial studies. And we sort of think of only the people that are already, you know, technically literal and they're savvy with their digital tool. But we need to make sure that people that are not savvy with all of those can also use this. So to some degree, it has to be really user friendly. It's got to be simple. I think that having multi-stakeholder involvement in the development, evaluation, best use of these digital technologies is the way to go. And I think that the way that you're going to deal with digital divide is to look at infrastructure. So you got to look at broadband coverage, internet speed, smartphone usage, all of that. Then think about inclusivity. Are we being inclusive, right? Can people afford the broadband? Can they afford the technology? And how do we overcome that? Then you have to look at institutions and organizations. Can we prioritize some of these agenda? So maybe political prioritization of, say, broadband agenda and things like that. And how can we advocate for that? 
So we need to make sure that we advocate, say, from an ACC perspective, from healthcare organizations, but also make sure that our legislators are understanding the reason for these priorities. And then we need to work on digital proficiency, right? How can patients navigate the digital world, which is, you know, shaped not only by their demographic profile, but educational levels, the degree of skepticism about news from social media and all of that. And I'll tell you, part of all of this is going to also require communication. COVID taught us some incredible things, right? We need to make sure that when we're translating some of the science and the data, that we do it in a way that's understandable, that's transparent, that there's not miscommunication. Because I think all these mixed messages sometimes can cause people to have skepticism. And we're going to have to have some level of trust with all of this. I think infrastructure, inclusivity, institutions, the digital proficiency, I think all of those things are important. But really, you need to have that diverse set of users. You need to really say that you're going to make an investment. And remember, ultimately, and I say this in some of my leadership pages, this is an investment in health. And what did COVID teach us more than anything? More than anything, it taught us that health really matters. Well, if health matters, and if we really want to ultimately cut healthcare costs, right, then we have to tackle things like health equity. How are we going to do that? Well, one of the ways is through digital transformation. But we want to make sure that in the process, we don't create a whole set of problems. So if we already anticipate this thing, such as digital divide, then hopefully we're going to overcome some of those issues. Thank you, Dr. Jabria, for sharing your incredible insights on how to have equity first lens and digital transformation. So patient and user data is very sensitive, and we owe it to patients to ensure data privacy, especially when data is stored on different servers for different digital health tools. How do you see the data privacy addressed? Yeah, this is also another very important point. I mean, ensuring data privacy and that the information is secure, all that, it really is a challenge, right, for most manufacturers of digital health applications. And this is where I think that we're going to need data governance to harmonize and protect the real-time exchange of data. Whether digital health technology will enhance quality and efficiency of care is going to really depend on trust. And again, I go back to that because if the patients don't have trust, you know, that their data is not protected, then we're going to not be able to do what we need to do. So I think people need to know and control how the health system and other entities access, use, and disclose personal health information. And they need to trust that their data is protected. Physicians need to know that information is protected and is able to trust that information is complete and accurate. That's important from us, from a clinician standpoint. Is the information complete and accurate? Because we're going to be making a lot of decisions on this information. And then to facilitate all of this trust, I think the gaps in privacy protection that we have right now, personal health information, is going to have to be addressed. There are gaps in the federal legislation and state that will need to be addressed to be able to do that. The other thing I would say is not only do we have to address it that, but when they do develop health IT standards to facilitate this privacy, then I think we need to continue to look at it to make sure that it's working. We need to make sure we enforce it. I think all of those are important. And I think we need to maybe develop some principles around it. You know, one is we have to protect the privacy and security of personal health information not only that's collected within, but outside the healthcare system, because now we're going to be doing some work outside of the healthcare system. So how do you do that? We're going to have to support transparency and public understanding of all the different models of what we're doing. How are we collecting information? How are we exchanging it? And what are we doing to protect it? 
so that we can build that confidence. I think that confidentiality is going to be fundamental. And I think that we all need to have obligation to adhere to the privacy and security protocols. We need to make sure that there's enforcement to ensure that all the entities involved are subject to HIPAA rules and that everybody is participating in making sure that this privacy measures are upheld. And then, you know, of course, all the privacy and security measures should be tested before implementation and actually really regularly reevaluated to make sure that in a real world healthcare setting that these are working. Again, all of these are tough issues, but they're going to have to be iterative. We're going to have to tackle them. And that's how we're going to move forward. Thank you so much, Dr. Ichaporia, for elaborating on that very crucial topic of how do we go about ensuring patient privacy. So with that, you know, the next question we'd like to ask is, as an immediate past president of the ACC, can you share with us your thoughts on how big organizations can help advocate for updated reimbursement models and policy changes to allow increased adoption of digital health tools? Yeah, I think professional medical societies really have a pivotal role in promoting digital transformation. And that really means implementing evidence-based digital redesign and innovation. I think we need to act as conduits for sort of meaningful engagement with other key stakeholders, right? We want to help steer tech development so that we don't exacerbate that digital divide that we talk about. I think we can play a role in promoting digital literacy, not only amongst the public, but also in terms of really our own membership. So for example, ACC, we can help educate the 56,000 members about digital tools and how do we use it. We can create standards, right? And so for example, we did how to do a telehealth visit, you know, the booklet that sort of lays it out. Because you know what? Ultimately, what they're going to look at is, is there fraud and abuse with all this stuff? Do we have enough guardrails in place? And guess who's going to have to help create those standards? I think somebody like ACC can do that. You know, and right now, I think we really can help to promote some stability and maintain this enhanced telehealth flexibility that was brought on by the pandemic. And so that we can learn and evaluate the role of telehealth and how did it really enhance the clinician-patient relationship. So I think we have to be able to look at all of that, look at the data. We need to be able to educate. There's a lot of different things that we can do. But look, there's a lot of challenges ahead if we want to facilitate access to meaningful innovation particularly at a reasonable cost. And technology is going to have to have proof of feasibility of not just small studies, but we want to show robust demonstration of some added value with all this stuff. The ACC can also help build guidelines about the appropriate use of digital tools. And like I said, help educate the membership and also even maybe help with some of the, you know, communication with the public about some of this. We can advocate for fair reimbursement models and some policy changes that would allow adoption of digital health tools that can help improve access and promote health. So I think that there's a lot that the professional medical societies can do in terms of promoting that digital transformation. We've covered a lot here in just a short bit of time. And, you know, specifically some of the take home points for me was focused on what truly is the definition of digital health transformation. Another major take-home point was what you talked about, Dr. Chapora, regarding human-centered design. And again, another shout-out to Nino here and many of our collaborators that have focused on this from the beginning. Maybe in our last few minutes, Dr. Chapora, could you share your thoughts on future opportunities for digital health tools and cardiovascular disease management? Yeah, you know, during my speech at Convocation, I said, you know, Albert Einstein said that we can't solve the problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. I think that's our challenge, right? We sort of have to rise to the next level to conquer these barriers to really reap the benefits and the promise of better care and better outcomes. 
I think, improved health equity, added value to the healthcare systems. And then hopefully that's also going to translate into the well-being of clinicians. I think we have a real opportunity to help define the solutions that will truly optimize care delivery and outcomes. We've made a lot of progress already. I mean, just what has happened since COVID, even us having this conversation and for you all to think that this is an important conversation. Think about the last time that you have not just talked about pathophysiology, but to talk about things that are relevant to our lives. Because did we talk about all of this when, say, electronic health records were coming in? You were sort of saying to all of the listeners, hey, this is coming. Let's embrace it. Let's be part of it. Give your feedback. You are the front line. You can help to better care for your patients and ultimately help yourself. And so I think that it will be our job to help define what the appropriate use of transformational technologies are in our area and to work closely with payers, government agencies to make sure that we align financial incentives, that we implement care delivery models that don't hinder efficiency, but integrate with our existing and evolving models of virtual care, remote monitoring, and create the pathways so that ultimately is better. I think that what I would say is that we all collectively need to think about envision what that future is going to look like. And then we need to work towards that future. We have to be the ones that decide it, not some person in Silicon Valley, not some person that is so out of touch with the patient. And half the time we say, why is this? I don't want to be told anymore about what to do. I want to be able to say, this is what I want to do. Oh, thank you, Dr. Ichaburia, for those amazing insights on digital health and cardiovascular disease. And also, I want to thank Cardinars crew for this exciting discussion. And then for the rest of the Cardinars world, stay tuned for more episodes and digital health series with deep dives in specific areas of digital health, including promoting health equity with digital health tools and more. 